Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. And remember, this is wide screen podcasting. This is wide screen podcasting. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Today, everyone, after three weeks of intense Fleming Pie based programming, we are going to wind the clock back and Step to the side a little as we look at a slightly more obscure and underrepresented aspect of the McCartney story, aka Denny Lane's story. On this show so far, we've looked at Holly Days, which was Denny's 1976 Buddy Holly covers album that was produced by McCartney and recorded in the gap between the two halves of the Wings Over the World tour. But aside from that, we haven't really had a look at any other Denny dedicated episodes until today. Yes, folks, we're going to be taking a look-see at another Denny Lane album here on the podcast, and it's going to be the first of two episodes that I have planned. On this first instalment, we have Denny Lane's first official studio solo album, titled R Lane, as our first point of discussion. And don't worry if you've never heard of this album, because even after doing this podcast for years, I only have the most cursory knowledge of its existence, and only a few weeks ago did I ever even give it a listen. This is an album that is a true minor footnote in the history of Wings, and despite it being released during the band's awkward pre-band-on-the-run period, it has nothing to do with the band, which makes the fact that Denny is wearing a Wings t-shirt on the front cover even more confusing. Though, as someone who has always bemoaned the lack of Denny Lane content on Wings albums, the prospect of an album composed entirely of Denny Lane originals was very interesting and enticing for me. You know, was this going to be an album of Time to Hides or an album of Children Children's? Could be. Who knows? Fortunately, I did not have to go upon this exploration on my own. As you all know, or should know, I've always been a defender of Denny and a champion of his work with McCartney. But I'm going to be kindly joined by someone today who takes it to the next level of fandom. My guest today as you've probably seen in the title, is Chloe Costello. She is an ever-present figure on Beatles and Wings fan pages and groups online alike, as well as having her own YouTube channel, links down below. And after going through said channel, I knew she'd be the perfect one to help me explore slash get through this album. I'm happy to report that we got on like a house on fire, and that we are going to be doing an episode on Japanese tears in the near future, so watch out for that. But before we can cover that, we have to do our lane. And before we can cover our lane, we must first settle the matter of the housekeeping. Starting off, what do we have in terms of news for today? Well, the main piece of news we have today is Get Back related. Yes, I know, ugh, more Get Back stuff, right? Yeah, well, we haven't even got to the delayed DVD release yet, so don't expect this topic to go away just yet. But what we're talking about here today, here today, is a new exhibit titled either brilliantly or clunkily the beatles get back to let it be this is an interactive multimedia exhibit at the rock and roll hall of fame museum and i think i'm going to let these select selections from the article by variety magazine do the heavy lifting in terms of explaining what it is it reads 
The exhibit is an extension of Peter Jackson's epic-length 2021 documentary The Beatles Get Back via film footage, select artefacts and clothing seen in the movie, photographs from the Let It Be sessions, and related ephemera such as handwritten lyrics. Get Back to Let It Be reinforces the joyful humanity of the Beatles during their last year as a band. Get Back to Let It Be is anchored by three theatre spaces screening footage from the Get Back pivotal locations such as Twickenham Studios, the Apple Corps basement and the infamous rooftop concert on the Apple Corps building. The exhibit loosely follows the arc of Get Back. You'll enter and directly in front of you you will see a circular room projecting the colour rich Twickenham footage, then move towards a similar sized room with the basement footage and then finally end up in a bigger space with the rooftop concert footage projected on multiple curved screens like a mini IMAX experience. In addition to the film's footage, the exhibit features fascinating curios from the collections of the era's principal figures. Engineer Glyn Johns donated a vinyl acetate of the songs and his marked-up handwritten calendar from May 69 to January 70, featuring Beatles-related and other business matters. Ringo Starr, meanwhile, contributes the tomato-red Lurex raincoat he borrowed from then-wife Maureen and the maple Ludwig drum kit that he played in the Let It Be sessions and rooftop concert. Nearby is the well-loved Epiphone Casino guitar John Lennon used in the same sessions, as well as his patch-adorned Wrangler jean jacket and iconic glasses. George Harrison is represented by Flash, his smart pinstripe suit, and a replica Fender Strat guitar painted in day-glow colours. Get Back to Let It Be is open at the Rock Hall through March 2023, fittingly 60 years to the month of the release of the Beatles' debut LP, Please Please Me. No mention of Paul McCartney merch there. Very interesting. Anyway, if any of you actually get to go to this exhibit, please drop me an email as I'd love to hear about it. And ending on some lighter news, Omega Auctions, who I'm guessing are at least a somewhat prestigious auction house here in the UK, have put up a telescope for sale that used to belong to Paul and Linda McCartney. It's going for somewhere between £800 to £1,000, and delivery is not included, and you have to sort that out yourself. But anyway, here is the listing for anyone interested. Sir Paul and Linda McCartney owned LX50 Telescope. A 10-inch LX50 Mead Cassegrain Telescope once owned and used by Paul and Linda McCartney at their P-Marsh home. The telescope was gifted to the vendor in 2016 by MPL following a spell in storage and prior to this there is an extensive email history mostly circa mid-2000s between the vendor and MPL for whom he was working on modifications to the telescope and software to enable Sir Paul and Linda to more easily use the telescope. The correspondence notes great sentimental value to Sir Paul and Linda and describes how they hope to make use of it. The telescope is sold with two eyepieces, visual back and finder scope, telescope forks with upgraded motors, heavy duty wedge mounted on a field tripod, box of connecting cables and three controller boxes, a PC installed with all the necessary software and a monitor. Note the image showing the telescope with green dome is indicative of how it was stored in Sir Paul McCartney's home and this green dome is not included in this sale. So, if any of you want to pick this up, you know, £800 to £1,000, it's probably about $1,500 to $2,000, hey, why not pick it up? Could be a fun part of Paul McCartney history in your home. Failing that, 
I'll just spend 10 months of the Patreon on it. <laughs> anyway, enough of the news. Let's move on to the plugs, starting off with the emails. To get in contact with the show, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. We have a few emails today. Our first duo of emails is from a regular correspondent, Lou DiLonardo. He reads... Hi Sam, being an ancient, I have not yet totally sold myself on the music streaming thing. That being said, I have an iPod. Don't laugh. I listened to your podcast on it. Anyway, I lost my 250 gig iPod about two months ago. All Beatles, Wings, Solar Beatles, my whole Maca library. I was beside myself looking for it. After many prayers, today I was listening to part two of your Fleming Pie podcast. As I was listening, I said to myself that I would search one more place before I gave up hope. Bingo! Found it! So, I've renamed you Sergeant Sailor Sam from Birmingham. Indirectly, you helped me find something I treasured. A very informative Fleming Pie show, by the way. Can't wait for part three. Keep up the good work, my friend. And then once part three came out, he sent me another email, which I actually only just received minutes before starting this show. He said, Sam, I can't imagine how much time you put into Fleming Pie part three, but it was well worth it. Awesome job, my friend. It was an expensive listen for me. About seven cigars in total, lol. Great job, Sam. Cheers, Lou DiLonardo. No problem, Lou. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I, I always love reading your correspondence out here on the show. I'm so glad that whilst listening to this poxy little podcast, you were able to find your iPod. I know how I'd feel if I lost my dad's iPod. Like, that's a real brick. Uh, and it holds so much value to me in terms of a real catalogue of music, so I'm glad I was able to find you that, and great to think that people might be smoking cigars whilst listening to my show, that's a really fun image, thank you for those emails as always Lou, and now we have a much bigger one from another person we've heard before, one Richard Campbell, who in this email he does mention that I didn't have to read this out, but I thought I might, anyway, he says, hi Sam, Thoroughly enjoyed you and Duncan taking apart and mostly lauding the Flaming Pie album. Just a few things. Shading Jennifer Lawrence was misplaced. She's a terrific actor. Have you seen Winter's Bone? She steals every scene she's in in American Hustle, and your criticism of her playing a stoner in the terrible film Don't Look Up is pretty rich. <laughs> That's true. Because Jennifer Lawrence is a stoner. I'm an actor too. I'm pretty sure that I'm still qualified to play Henry V this summer, even though he is a king and I am not. Lawrence has made some bad movies and many good ones. She's usually the best thing about those bad movies, except a couple of X-Men movies that God himself and Michael Fassbender couldn't save, as is the case in Don't Look Up. And, ironically, it felt like she was playing a character that she was pretty close to in terms of her own sensibilities. Also, I get it, you don't like the 12 Bar Blues, which of course is the basis for rock and roll and rock in general and played a big part in the Beatles story. The thing about this duet with Steve Miller is that it shows a side of Paul we haven't seen in a long time. It's a nice breather from all the tight pop and rock songs we've heard before and it takes us to a different place. Lots of us like 12 Bar Blues. I'm not a fan of some generic dude getting up and showing his guitar chops, but I do love the Giants, and listening to two people who'd have been school teachers or accountants if it had not been for the blues stretch out and have a bit of fun helps the album along. Thank heavens Duncan was there to stand up for Souvenir. It's a great song. And yeah, it's one that Ray Charles or the late Otis Redding could have covered easily. 
Hell, if Ella could cover A Hard Day's Night, then why couldn't a great R&B artist cover a song written precisely in their genre wheelhouse? This starts to all sound like, I love Paul, but only when he sticks to pop and wacky experimentalism, and I'm not willing to stretch my own musical boundaries to accommodate Paul's never-ending interest in rhythm and blues. Lastly, I've got to call you out, call you both on feeling cringe on when Ringo says, rock on for George Ringo one more time. Seriously? I mean, seriously? You don't like it when the Beatles reference themselves as the Beatles? Do either of you realise how picayune that sounds? I can tell that as an eight-year-old Beatle maniac in 65, I was thrilled and loved hearing Ringo shout out on that track, and it still warms me. They're covering Chet Atkins, a rockabilly artist they adored and covered more than once. Shoutouts were normal and part of rockabilly and rock and roll and blues in those days. The Monkees has absolutely nothing to do with it, and they didn't even exist. It's a genre thing. They're swinging and having fun playing together with music that they love, and incidentally turning us onto it too. They're not trying to please Tiger Beat or jaded Beatle fans in 2022. You seem to forget that they're not as far removed from their heroes in this time. They recorded Honey Don't in 64. The original single was only eight years old. When they were playing the club circuit in Hamburg, these songs were even fresher. Dude, you referred to Pipes of Peace as being better than Tug of War. I won't even go near that. You don't have to read this on air, though I am one of your Patreon supporters, and every few months I like to be obnoxious and take issue with some of your views. I mean, I could go medieval on Off the Ground, as I think you get it in a way that I never could. I need to sit with that one. What am I missing? But Flaming Pie is a stone-cold, bittersweet classic. I think, yes, there are a couple of weak tracks, but they're actually ones that you and Duncan like. I felt like I had to stand up for the ones that I like. Linda's voice on Great Day always makes me sad, but in a good way. Thanks, Sam. I cannot believe you find time for all of your endeavours online. It's incredible. When do you sleep, mate? Thank you for all of it. I still have a half a dozen Macket in your attics to get through. All the best, as always. Richard. Wow, thank you for such a detailed email there, Richard. These are the kind of emails that, you know, people like me, content creators, podcasters, always dream of. There's so much to uh, take apart there. I don't think I hate 12-bar blues. I just don't think it's as interesting as a lot of the other stuff that Paul McCartney does. I don't decry him for branching out and experimenting with different stuff. Of course, it's always nice to have a more varied album, but that doesn't mean... I'm necessarily going to like the variety. And yeah, I still stand by the fact that I don't particularly like Souvenir all that much. I knew there was going to be backlash and pushback on that, so you know I've got no problem with you sharing your opinions there. The Rock on George Faringo one more time thing, though, that's always stood out to me as something a little bit silly and a little bit dated. So yeah, maybe it was totally appropriate back in the day, but... You know, for a jaded Beatle fan in 2022, it's just never sat right with me. I do apologise for that. Uh, what I don't apologise for are my opinions on Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, I, I, I am yet to see Winter's Bone. I know that that was the one she did before she kind of took off and became really famous. I know, I know that she's a character with a bow and arrow in that. And then she did those Hunger Games movies where she's a character with a bow and arrow. She does not steal every scene she's in in American Hustle, though she is a big kid playing dress-up in that movie. It's uh, it's not one of her best performances at all, but I don't particularly like that movie anyway. A lot of that David O. Russell stuff seems to be quite well-made, but 
flippant and kind of pointless. All comments about me taking the mick out of stoners, though, is noted, and I do have to uh, commend you for pointing that out. But yeah, thank you so much for that email, Richard. That was really fun. Thank you for, so much for sharing your opinions. I really enjoyed reading it. It was very well written. Um, but, you know, go and listen to Off The Ground again. I think you'll enjoy it, dude. I really do. Anyway, if you have any thoughts, folks, if you want to take me to, to task on anything, if you want to talk about any of the albums or music we've been talking about on the show at any point, if you want to reference something recent or, you know, the very first episode of the show, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com and I'll read it out here at the start of the show. Follow us on our Twitter page at McCartneyPod for daily updates. For bonus Paul McCartney written content, check out the blog at paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Of course, YouTube is the only place you can find new episodes of Macca in Your Attic, where me and a guest go through their Paul McCartney memorabilia by trawling through their dusty attics. If you enjoy the show, I know you'll enjoy episodes of Macca in Your Attic, and there's about 30 episodes available for free right now. Go and check it out, folks. Now, if you want to help out the show right away in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please leave us a review in whatever way you can, whether that's leaving a thumbs up, a like, a certain number of stars, preferably more than less, or even a comment. Anything you do helps out the show. It boosts us up in those impossible-to-predict algorithms. It gives us exposure. It just shows that people are interacting with poor or nothing. And finally, folks... If you want to help out the show directly, if you want to help keep the lights running, help me get new equipment, get me product to review, guests to talk to, yada, 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 see us expand, that kind of thing, then please consider joining our Patreon page. Patreon is the platform by which you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself. Though it is not just a gimme, you do get your money's worth, you get two days early access to all finished episodes of Paul or Nothing. You get instant access to all episodes of Macca in your attic. Uh, you get instant access to the Paul or Nothing video feed. So this episode I've done with Chloe today, that's been available for about two weeks online now. You could have watched that uh, long before this episode came out. Uh, there's another episode that's going up tomorrow, about a week early, my first part of my conversation with Dylan Seavey about Paul is Live. You'll be able to watch that long before the episode comes out. You also get access to lost and unreleased episodes of Paul or Nothing, as well as all of the scripts I use for the show as well. Also, I cannot forget, I've started doing a weekly vlog series exclusively for the Patreon, covering a variety of topics. At the moment, we've been doing a series where I've been going through all of my vinyl, but I've also done an episode on the Paul uh, McCartney Half Speed Vinyl Master Series. Uh, I'm going to be doing one on which side of McCartney vinyl is the very best. Uh, talk about McCartney merch in general, bootlegs. I've got a lot of topics that I want to cover that might not be totally suitable for the show. So you've got all the bonus content you could possibly want and you're helping out your eighth favourite Beatle podcast, that kind of thing. Also, we have some new patrons that I want to welcome to the fold. It's always crazy that anyone would want to support this show at all i'm just I'm, I'm too humble for my own good i guess but i it's 
it's so humbling. So, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I just want to thank new patrons, Jeff H. And a, <laughs> a patron whose name is after my own heart, Percy Thrillington. The Percy Thrillington is now supporting Paul or Nothing, folks. Make of that what you will. I also just want to give a quick shout out to Chris Atkinson, who has upped his monthly donation as well. Any and all patronage uh, and donations is it's always welcome, folks. You know, it really is the motivational boost that gets me through every day, every week. And, you know, the idea that I can just put that money right back into the show and, you know, expand my knowledge, whether it's books or vinyl or product in any form, you know, it just allows me to do the show more freely, more frequently and get you better content out there. Lastly, I just want to thank the rest of the Paul or Nothing family, including Jack, Andy Cochran, Guy Jenkinson, Nancy Twoey, Richard Campbell, Christopher Newman, Mrs. P, Broderick Harper, Moti Ryber, Robert Shuley, Christian Perry, Richard Driver, Richard Binnington, Mr. B, Teresa Brader, Stephanie Miller, Lou DiLonardo, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Warren Butson, and Matt Phillips. Right, folks, now that all of that housekeeping is out of the way... Let's go right to the show. Okay, everyone, now it's time for me to introduce my guest. I first remember seeing her when a friend of mine shared a video on a Paul McCartney Facebook group. And right away, I was like, this is someone who I can create content with. It was a very instinctive thing. Uh, I knew she was a massive Danny Lane fan just from one video, and several videos confirmed that. And I knew she'd be able to have some great brummy blues-based discussion with me. Uh, plus, it never hurts to shamelessly balance out your male-to-female guest ratio on your podcast. Folks, please welcome to the show, Chloe Castello. What's going on? Hey, Sam. Just ready for this, you know, looking forward to someone actually willing to talk about Arlene with me. So that's a first. <laughs> willing or forced to? That is a, a, a very specific way to put it. Um, yeah, you don't know what you've gotten yourself into here. <laughs> no, I thought this was going to be a very simple episode of Paul or Nothing, but... I feel like I'm going to be quite retro today, going back to the, a period where I used to just be quite uh, mean and horrible. So I'm, you know, I'm glad to get back to my roots, as it were. Um, is is your real name Chloe McManus then, in terms of this podcast? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no relation to Elvis then. No, that's fine. That's no, you're not the first person to ask that, but no. You're, you're not responsible for the worst of flowers in the dirt, but you're not responsible for the best of off the ground. So, you know, you're back on even keel. Don't worry about that. So let's let's just get right into this. Let's introduce you to my listeners. You own a strangely successful uh, Denny Lane-based YouTube channel that I've come across. So many videos are on there. Um, would you call yourself an out-and-out Denny Lane fan outside of the context of Wings, or is he a Wings member to you? Yes. It, I mean, in the beginning, it was definitely a Wings thing. Wings is how I found Denny Lane. But at this point in my life, I am absolutely down the deep, dark hole of just being an intense Denny Lane fan. It's been many years now, and there's no going back. So I've got all of his solo albums converted to MP3, listen to them full volume in the car every day that level <laughs> that is absolutely incredible uh, I I've, I've ever spoken to anyone who's ever said that before uh, I mean 
Denny is one of these people whose contribution to music and wings in general has kind of been downplayed. How much Absolutely. of that? Yeah, would, would, would you say that's that's down more to authors or to Paul himself? That's a good question. I would say both of those, as well as unfortunately, I would say it's also due to Denny himself. <laughs> he, he downplays his um, what's the word? what he's given to it, you his know, role, he downplays yeah. his role. Thank you. I'd argue that he's a very, very, very large piece of the wing story. I mean, he's the nucleus of wings without him. You got Paul and Linda and that's amazing, but it's not wings. He adds a layer of wings, which is what makes it what it is. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a lot of factors that unfortunately have led to um, his role in wings being downplayed. Um, his, career itself just kind of falling by the wayside that's a terrible denny lane reference that nobody will get off of his unreleased album valley of dreams but an unreleased <laughs> denny lane album <laughs> reference oh my gosh <laughs> so about four people are going to get that and they're going to love you for it that's what I'm four is say, generous so. but hopefully <laughs> <laughs> so where do, where, where, where do you see denny in wings do you see him as someone who has been kept down the entire time or someone who just kind of whether naturally or purposely just never blossomed into someone that would be considered by the mainstream rock intelligentsia as someone worth writing about i guess would be the best way to put it i don't think he was kept down by any external forces um, according to Denny himself, now this is just things he's said over the years and in interviews and things like that. He's um, expressed over and over that Paul actually wanted him to do more in Wings, was always pressing, like pressuring him to write, asking him to write songs, saying, what do you have for us? It was Denny himself who unfortunately didn't always, I guess, see himself as much of a writer. I don't know. I don't want to speak on his behalf or anything, but that's my understanding is that he definitely... I don't want to say like kept himself down or did, did anything like that, but I don't think any external forces necessarily did. Now that's not to discount, of course, that Paul McCartney is Paul McCartney and obviously is going to be like the shining star in terms of wings and nobody's going to match that because he won't allow that, of course. And of course he doesn't talk about Denny except for, I can think of like two instances he said his name publicly since the seventies, but I won't go into all that, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like Denny deserves a greater spot in Wings. I mean, even outside of the songs we're going to talk about today, there are so many instances where he probably should have just had a song on the album. Red Rose Speedway is the one that immediately leaps out to my mind. Like, let's get rid of When the Night or One More Kiss and let's put... uh, um, Which one's the the Red Rose Speedway one? Uh, Not... I I, I Would Only Smile. I Would Only Smile. Yeah. Uh, now to argue with you, I personally wouldn't take away either of those two tracks. I might take off oh, like it's, it's I know getting controversial facts here. Oh I do like those, but yes, I do think Denny did have a lot of songs at that point too. He easily could have had more Wings contributions early on, but and I think that's a shame. A greater presence as a live performer in Wings than as a an album presence. Like you know, he like even early Wings era, he still always got a go now. In addition to anything else, he was basically working on at that yeah. point. Definitely, I I think his live presence is again just something. I'm going to keep coming back to this, but that's something that just makes Wings Wings. You know, especially with mm-hmm. the double neck guitar and like <laughs> it's just it's part of Wings for me anyway. I it, it makes it. 
that presence is crucial. I'd say the most iconic Denny moments, probably him playing the drums on, uh, what was it? Um, oh, Let Him In. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, that's my favorite with the hat and just marching around the stage. The full tricorn Americana setup. Yeah, that's probably Love the it. best Denny moment ever. Though that that tour, his performance, both of Go Now and uh, Time to Hide, uh, his contribution to Richard Corey, like he's so obviously a major member of the band there. And yeah. yet by the time we get to the modern era, I'm not saying he's been written out or forgotten, but just general audiences like, oh yeah, that was just someone he worked with. And like, you, you know, when you look at Beatle books and they, they labor constantly over like, oh, well, John wrote 20% of this song and Paul wrote 80% of this song. No one has ever done the due diligence to be like, okay, maybe Denny wrote 5% of this song, 10% of that song, 20% of that song. Obviously the big one would be like, you know, maybe 30, 40% of Bull of Kintyre, but. According to Denny, it's actually more than that for the record. So you've heard the the piano tape of McCartney from 74, where he's kind of, yeah. Surely that's that's like 60 70 percent of Mullifkintyre right there, so uh, yeah, maybe Denny helped with the uh, the uh, certain middle eighth and stuff like that, but I've always kind of seen that as a McCartney song. We're okay to disagree on that, it's fine, don't, don't worry. We've got bigger disagreements later on that we should probably focus on, <laughs> <laughs> so um. You say, like, you know, Denny's probably one of the uh, biggest obstacles in the way of Denny. What would you say is one of your favourite tracks of his personally? I mean, I'm looking at so many tracks here right now, just in his Wings tenure. Okay, so we're just talking Wings right now. Just talking Wings. What is your favourite Denny? Denny, Go on. I'm going to say my two favorite wing songs of his are actually both off of London Town, Deliver Your Children and Children, Children. I think Children, those, Children is one of your favorite. I love that song. I think the guitar is phenomenal. I I, I just love it. This is going to be an interesting episode, folks. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> now, like, I'm looking at some of these now. I mean, Time to Hide, e- e- even writing half of No Words is something pretty incredible to me. Deliver Your Children might be my favourite Denny song in the entire Wings can, but Children, Children, that's getting swapped out for Water Spout pretty damn quickly. I know. Nobody likes that one. I, I really don't understand <laughs> why. <laughs> I kind of felt like that with Say, Say, Say. So many people seem to rag on that song. I have no idea why. Yeah. I mean, look, you can't have two songs with the name Children on an album. It just, it just doesn't work. It, it automatically feels like generic just from the title so we've even listened to either song he's he's not setting himself up there very well uh titles is going to be something we're going to be coming back to a lot actually in this episode the more i think about it uh he's not the best at titling songs he's better at writing them i guess i would agree with that yeah i think that is the major downfall of those two songs is this 50 percent of the same title <laughs> or close to I can't. I can't say anything bad about delivering your children. To be fair, I really can't. The ending um, on that one is just great. Keep Sam. Keep it together. You can go for the throat later. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I thought he really dabbled in his solo career up to say the kind of Japanese Tears era. So I must ask you: Have you gone past 1980 with Denny? What's that like? What can one expect? 
Absolutely. I think at Japanese tiers, you're only just scratching the surface. You know, you're you're only just barely getting started. That is like Japanese tiers isn't even really for me up there that high in terms of his entire solo catalog. He just has so much output. And granted, a lot of it is tainted by 80s drum machines. But if you can get past that, it's really good. <laughs> and then, um, I'd, I mean, if we're going to move all the way forward, 1996, Reborn, I think, is just a phenomenal album. That one, the production finally has what it deserves, I would say. And so, yeah, if you stop at Japanese series, you're missing a lot. How many albums are there out there where he plays Go now? It's got to be over 50, surely. He seems to play Go now every time, doesn't he? They, the companies tend to, they re-release his albums and slap Go Now on at the end to make it sell. <laughs> but the original albums do not all have Go Now on them. <laughs> yeah. That would be my go-to joke if I if I met Danny in a pub, if he wasn't a tax exile here, here, here in, the, in, in the UK. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's so hard, I guess, to be a real Denny fan because Wings is so dominated by Paul. It's basically just considered to be part of the Paul McCartney solo canon. And that's mostly not Denny's fault. I think you kind of touched on that earlier. It's mostly just because of how dominating Paul is as a force both within the band and just culturally in general but it doesn't seem to uh, make up for the fact that the Denny Lane story is woefully undertold there's not a single biography out there fucking Jimmy McCulloch's got a biography out there Denny Lane doesn't what the hell's going on there I mean let's just talk about the background to the album we're talking about today uh, this is a kind of an out-of-nowhere release. Uh, this was kind of following the Denny Lane string band stuff. Are you are you familiar with that kind of era of Denny's career? The electric string band, yes, absolutely. What can one expect from that? Like, what, what is it? Like, there's like two or three singles available in their whole canon? That's about it? There's a couple more, actually. We have um, the main signal, single from the string band was Say You Don't Mind. That was the one with commercial success which had a song called Ask the People as a B-side. Um, they also did, what is it? Um, Tim Harden's Reason to Believe. Mm-hmm. They did um, Too Much in Love with a B-side of Catherine's Wheel. And there was another song called Why Did You Come? Um, but producer Danny Cordell rejected that one, but it's still available. There was also a song that was for many years lost, but it actually turned up a couple of years ago. It's called Machine Song. So that one recently showed up on YouTube. It's pretty cool. Overall, I think the Electric String Band is definitely not something to overlook. I think it's really cool music, pretty ahead of its time. I mean, I've I've been looking at ELO because I've been doing the uh, Flaming Pie album recently. I've seen a couple of comments here and there, both on YouTube, on Discogs, that it's a bit of a prelude to the ELO kind of sound, really. Uh, Is this just another example where Denny has kind of been overlooked in terms of the historical progress of music? Would you want him to be more featured, say, in a big Netflix documentary that's covering rock, like, you know, between this band and this band, there was the Electric String Band. We need four minutes on this on this documentary. I mean, if, if you're asking me, yes, absolutely. I think what he did was pivotal. I mean, he amplified cellos and violins and toured with them on the same bill as Jimi Hendrix, you know, and a bunch of others. And I know they ran into a lot of problems, unfortunately, with the amplification of the instruments, which is what led to a lot of the downfall. But yeah, I'd argue it was absolutely very important and as another ELO link Denny was actually in his technically his first official band second really 
Denny Lane, the diplomats, he was there with Bev Bevan. So there's a lot of ties there. It's such a shame to go from a band where you're the headline name in the band to them being the guitarist in another band. Uh, you've got to be quite humble, I guess, to do that. You know, Denny would have to have swallowed his pride for the entire time he was in Wings. You know, I'm sure there's a point when you're doing an album that's, you know, you as a solo act that you'd think, oh, okay, maybe I'm, I'm the big cheese, but you're not John Lennon. You're not kind of going to appear that way to the public. You're always going to play second fiddle and I guess I guess that's why he's never really had his his fair due in the literature but there's definitely an interesting story there there's at least a terrible HBO biopic that we, that we could get out of this you know with some terrible American actor going you know so what was it the electric string band and uh, you know just do, doing the worst Brummie accent ever let's move on to our lane though because this is an album where as someone who prides oneself in doing uh, extensive, over-researched notes for episodes, there's mm. nothing available about this album online. What is our lane? Is it true he didn't know it existed? Is this just some sort of studio cash-in during Wings? What's going on with this album? The answer would be none of the above. Now, um, yes, okay. <laughs> I will ask you to kind of bear with me. I think there's some important background context leading up to the creation of Alain. I will start with, though, if you go online and Google Alain, every single website is wrong. It, uh, I think it's listed as being recorded during Wings, usually between 71 and 73 when it was released. It was recorded prior to Denny Lane joining Wings, either 1969 or 1970. Wow. So um, in, I believe it was, in 1969, Denny Lane went to Spain for a few months and he kind of lived on the streets, did some busking, learned flamenco guitar. When he came back to the UK, he hooked back up with Tony Secunda, who was with him in the Moody Blues. They had a long relationship. So it was through Tony Secunda that Alain happened. Before Alain, he did um, bounce around between the band Balls, which was a trio, between um, Ginger Baker's Air Force, uh, a little bit of just empty periods. And it's one of those empty periods that Alain would have been recorded in. Unfortunately, it seems like Denny may not know for sure. Um, the tracks were written at the same time, though, recorded at the same time with the intention of creating an album. The reason the album was released in 1973 was because it got shelved due to a couple of factors, such as um, there were complications with the studio, for sure, uh, in terms of management and money. Just to be blunt, there were some issues there. Um, but as on top of that, it remained shelved for a while because Danny was busy with Wings. And he, if you look at his career, there's a lot of projects that he did that just never saw the light of day. So this very easily could have been another one of them. But um, Tony Secunda ended up putting it out in 73 because, you know, it was Wings was getting big. And that was the time to capitalize it, stick a Wings shirt on the cover, you know. And so that was all Tony Secunda. That's even the reason it's seen the light of day today. And I think it's safe to say that this album wasn't exactly the biggest seller on the planet, right? Yeah, I honestly, could. I don't have any information as far as how well it sold. It definitely never charted or anything like that. <laughs> it got to number 17 on the, on the, on the Austrian, you know, <laughs> adult contemporary charts, yeah. I'd, I'd say, like, again, though, the album, musically, it could have. It has the potential. I think it's a really good folk rock album. The problem is it was never promoted. 
there were there was a little bit of promotion for the UK release, which Denny was aware of. As it said, he probably was not aware of the US release. He doesn't know for sure, but it, it kind of happened behind the scenes and it was never promoted. So nobody even knew it was coming out really, which is unfortunate. It's a shame it was released when it was though, because if it'd been released just like six months later in early 74, just after Bam on the Run, yeah. It it could have made the top 20 quite easily just from name association alone. But since it's kind of riding off the back of Wildlife and Red Rose Speedway, two albums that have been kind of historically unfairly uh, critiqued, it's it's no surprise that this really wasn't the uh, kind of shameless studio cash-in that it was designed to be. Um, I agree. It deserved it. You know, I think the album deserves more. It's a great album. I'll just keep saying that. <laughs> I mean, imagine holding on to these songs, though, for, for this whole time and then not just holding on a little bit more. I guess it's a, it's just a, a, an, an interesting oddity in terms of album release and marketing strategies, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, maybe if YouTube had existed and they could have paid for YouTube ads, maybe this album would have sold a little bit better. Who knows? But onto our lane when did when did you first come across this album in your denny lane fandom had you listened to all of wings or was it like you just listened to wildlife and red Rose speedway like like everyone else back in the day and you were like oh i hope this guy writes a song called no words uh it it took me a long time i i've been a wings fan for the greater part of my life but you know it was only within the last nine years or so that I really even found Denny's music mm. uh, and uh, 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 like I knew it existed I, I googled it you know I was googling things about him trying to learn what I could um but there was just no information out there and the music was never available and I I didn't have a record player at the time so even and I didn't you know I was too young to even like shop online I didn't have a debit card couldn't buy the album so there was there was that kind of barrier so yeah I'd say Maybe seven years ago is when I really even got my hands on the album for the first time. And then, so I found it on YouTube, but it became a huge deal for me. So it wasn't your video of our lane then? Uh, So (laughs) so, someone else had got there first. Kind of. What was driving me crazy was most of the album was on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) The first track was missing. And all I knew was that it was like a minute long and it was called Big Ben. And I was just losing my mind. I needed to know what this track was. So that's honestly what caused all of this to happen. (laughs) I just, I, I, I hated that it wasn't there. And then, uh, yeah. There, there really isn't much of Denny online. I mean, the only one that I've really seen of his, that, that there's, um, well, there's two types of YouTube video. You've got where the whole album is broken down individually per song, and then some albums that aren't as aggressively protected by copyright algorithms, you get mm-hmm. the whole album. And uh, when I went on YouTube to look up R Lane, I was like, oh, here's the entirety of R Lane. Oh, and it's a, a vinyl record release. That's, that, 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 that's really fun. Let's just have a look at, who who's oh it's the person i'm talking to in a couple of weeks that's the person who's uploaded the video there are there are about ten thousand views for our lane so that's got to be at least five thousand people still to this day who are into our lane uh that's far more than i ever expected to be honest i'm quite shocked at how popular his his solo stuff is though when I consider something like his second album holidays which is one of my favorite albums to put on and just relax to it shouldn't be all that shocking, really. Denny does have talent. He is really, really quite 
adept at melody and he's a very competent singer he's he's good at so many different genres he just seems to be one of these figures that have slipped through the net of uh, general rock and roll criticism it's yeah. a shame there's not much more you can say is there really I mean, I'm obvious. Paul McCartney picked him for a reason, you know. He, I think, he's somebody who's very musically talented. But mm-hmm. the guy can definitely write a good song. And Holidays, that that's a great album too. Unfortunately, I don't listen to it very much just because it's been because that was the one that was the most accessible for the longest time. Mm-hmm. So that would actually have probably been that was the first one I heard. But so I wasn't on the hunt for that one or anything. To me, that's just a Wings album more anyway. Oh no! It, to- it, it totally should have been released with the uh, Wings at, at the Speed of Sound archive uh, re-release, just as another disc. You know, disc four, Holidays, because Paul produced it, Linda's on it, Paul's on it. Uh, that would have been very nice indeed. Hopefully Paul did all appeared. the backing tracks without Denny too. I mean, Denny wasn't even present until it was time to add the vocals and then a couple things on top. So yeah, it's a Wings album. I never even talked about that. That is insane. So it, it basically is a Paul album. It, it's McCartney too, but with Denny Lane vocals. God, just, exactly. Yeah, picturing Denny on coming up and waterfalls, that'd be very interesting indeed. <laughs> now, is it safe to say that this album is exploitative of certain Wings imagery in its album cover? Uh Hi. Yeah, why is Denny wearing a Wings T-shirt? Is that is is that something that is legal? Do we think, or is that something that just people got away with in the early seventies? Because things were that is all fast. Tony Secunda. <laughs> just have Denny wear a Wings shirt. We'll take a, a a Wings, you know, photo shoot photo and call it a day. It's pretty bold, I must say. I actually have the full photo right here to show you. <gasps> oh, okay, folks, folks, you can't see this yeah. right now. Oh you can gosh. see the atrocious Wings shirt in all of its glory, which, I mean, it's a great shirt, but it just doesn't belong on Colleen. It's it's a very, it's such an obviously early band era merch piece. Um, <laughs> that that moustache, though, that's quite a magnificent moustache. It seems to be the opposite of Paul's moustache during the Sgt. Pepper period. It's it's only the outer moustache. Like if he, you combine them and you get one mustache. <laughs> if he and Paul made out during '67, their mustaches would never touch. You know, you were onto something. No, there's there's definitely something going on here. Damon's like, oh, you know, well, our lives going to be by Sergeant Pepper. You know, it's going it's going to be remembered forever. Uh, sadly, Danny, that didn't quite work out. I do, I do apologize. What do we think about the name, R. Lane? Is there anything going on there? Or is it just something he heard in the studio where someone went, oh, Lane. I think that would be better than the the reality of the situation. Tony Secunda, again, he's very involved in this. He named the album. And it's actually a play on Abisto for gravy gravy granules. It's not. If you look at the cover font, it's actually very close to the gravy granules logo as well. So, um, yeah. This is life-changing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ah, Bisto. That's so part of my makeup as an Englishman. Oh, my God. Right. You should have caught on to that. I can't handle this right now. I'm freaking out right now, everyone. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's a parody of Ah, Bisto. (sighs) Okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. Happy Um, to enlighten you with that. No, but no, but that'd be like, you know, finding out that like a David Bowie album's called like The Grassy Knoll or something like that. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a very important piece of my culture. 
and you know gravy to a british person is in the top 10 most important things in their life 100 100 percent. but before we can go into the album itself let's just have a quick look at some of the non-denny personnel now please feel free to correct me anywhere here this is just stuff that i have copy and pasted off your own youtube comments page so let's see what's going on we've got a uh, john moore's head on guitars correct he was briefly part of the short-lived Shotgun Express with Rod Stewart and Mick Fleetwood with Peter Green. Then he resided in uh, Julian Covey and The Machine with ex-Pirates bandmates Johnny Spence before joining the Ainsley Dunbar Rehabilitation. That's a whole lot of bands and names and people that I've pretty much never heard of before. And that's totally fitting, really. That's exactly what I'd kind of expect from the guitarist to wings guitarist. It also kind of highlights how extensive this community of late 60s, early 70s rockers are. Everyone seems to know everyone. It's very intertwined in that way. We've got uh, Steve Thompson on bass guitar. He was the bass player for John Mayle and Stone the Crows. Then we've got a name that should inflame certain Wings fans. We've got Colin Allen on drums and percussion. He was a drummer for Stone the Crows as well, as well as uh, being the co-writer for Jimmy McCulloch, uh, helping him write two songs uh, during his Wings tenure, including Medicine Jar and Wino Junko. I definitely, I hope I've spoken about him before. Uh, I really, I hope I do, but I've got this terrible feeling now that during my Venus and Mars and Speed of Sound episodes, I never mentioned the poor fellow, but he did indeed help Jimmy. Then on backing vocals, we've got Mary McCreary. Uh, this is her only credit on Discogs. We've got uh, Phobia Layob. That's the name of copied and pasted. Uh, that doesn't seem like a real name. It seems like a stage name, but we'll go with that. This artist does not appear on Discogs at all which is quite interesting does this person exist who knows uh pierce wilson on front vocals that's the first credit i've ever heard uh being specifically called that before uh and then producer in brackets help we have ian horn uh this is the same ian horn who did the back of vocals for no words on Bound on the Run. So this album's definitely got connections in the wider music world, even if you haven't heard it before. You know, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, you've definitely heard of this album, I guess. What do you think of this lineup? What do you think of Denny's ability to get a band together? Because, you know, th there are some quite big names on this. And it, when you go back to all the stories of you know, people joining Wings, so many of them just begin and end with, Denny recommended them to Paul. Uh, he seems to have a, a certain talent for stowing away artists in his mind. I think Denny had a lot of connections, especially as you were saying, through Stone the Crows. He also worked with Maggie Bell um, a few times later in his career, too. Mm -hmm. So he had a lot of connections there. Along with that, I think he was just pretty good at finding good session players, which is what a lot of these guys were in this context. You know, they they went out, the they, they became a band, I guess, for a little while. I know they took that lineup went out in the countryside and rehearsed till they were really tight. Then they mm. went in the studio, just recorded it. And then I think that was the end of that. So it wasn't really a band or anything, um, but it was definitely a good bunch of session musicians who really played well together. And uh, that's one thing about this album is it's so tight, so crisp overall. Um, and I think that really shows these are um, like really good players. I'd say the standout for me is the bass on this album throughout. You're going to yeah. hear me 
saying I love the bass. You know, it just Steve Thompson is amazing on this. And as far as uh, Ian Horn producing, he's actually the main producer. Denny Lane's credited as the main producer, but in 2018 he did say that he's just he was he was in charge, but he didn't really do much. He wasn't very experienced, so Ian Horn really produced the album. Interesting. I feel like I have so much more context for every uninformed opinion I'm about to say when we start talking about all of this music. I'll probably have to come up with a little bit more on the fly. Do forgive me, folks. But yeah, let's let's talk about our lane. All I can find is that it came out in 73. Do you have an exact date for me when this came out? Yes, I do. I don't have it memorized for me for a second. You don't have it memorized, folks. We'll <laughs> I know. Yeah. So November 16th, 1973 is when it was released, um, both on Wizard Records in Europe, the Wizard label, and it was released on Reprise, owned by Warner in the United States. Two household names there, folks, clearly. This was released on the biggest of labels, of course. Uh, it wasn't just put out quickly by whoever owned the rights or anything like that. Heaven, heaven forbid. But, right, Chloe, let's start off with the album opener. And this song is either going to be about a large clock in London or very beefy fellow named Benjamin. This is the song that was missing for you all those years ago. Let's talk about Big Ben. <laughs> related album there's a certain nervousness and trepidation I feel when I first press play uh, that kind of lack of knowledge can be exciting as it is scary and I must admit I was quite pleasantly surprised when I first heard this little outing it's an instrumental a very short one clocking in around just 90 seconds and I honestly no irony nothing uh, salacious going on I found it to be very creative expressive atmospheric it was a real palate cleanser that took me out of the real world for a moment and got me ready for an album ahead. And I can't really ask for more than that. But, you know, as someone who is as clearly unbiased as you, please, oh, yeah. please give me your objective opinion on Big Ben. 
um, I mean, just to sum it up first, I, I like it a lot. I think it's a pretty cool track. Um, I think that it's, so when I first heard Big Ben, I was impressed, which is saying a lot because I was hunting for it for a very long time and it was just not online. And I wasn't disappointed when I heard it. I was definitely confused. I didn't really know what I was hearing at first. I've seen people call it pointless and unusual. To me, it's very residual of what Danny was doing just possibly a year or two ago, depending on this, when this was recorded um, with his psychedelic stuff and the electric string band. I think it's just reminiscent of that. I like the clapping as it gets on towards the end. I think that's a cool sound. Yeah, it just sounds like you're in outer space to me. It, to me, it's like it could be on any Wings album as like Cufflink or something, just, you know, mm -hmm. some instrumental in between. I could see it fitting Venus and Mars. That is what I first thought of uh, when I uh, immediately when I first heard this. I got some very Venus and Marsy kind of vibes. It was completely unexpected, though. You know, you you expect something with Denny Lane uh, to be a very bluesy guitar-based song, and Denny challenges your expectations there by delivering a very progressive, spacey synth-based track. Uh, maybe the closest analog would be like Lou, the first Indian on the moon from Redrow Speedway. It's very trippy. Uh, there's some melodic psychedelic guitar all mashing with the synths there. Uh, the percussion, like you say, that kind of buddy holly hand clap thing. It's very charming. You do get your money's worth. And I think the key is that it doesn't go on too long. I could even deal with another 30 seconds of it building with the clapping. Now, my issue, like, like you compared it to loop. My issue with that is it just goes on too long. This, I think, is in the sweet spot of just ambient noise. No, and for an album opener, you should leave the audience with wanting more, and this is definitely what that song does. Mm -hmm. But let's address the elephant in the room. The production is a little slapdash, and we're going to talk about this uh, probably just as often as you're going to say positive things about the album. I'm probably going to say, yeah, but the production's not all that good. Um, the way some of the sounds are layered in, uh, they're edited a little too sharply, a little too hard cut, which detracts from the overall dreamlike tone. Like rather than being this kind of seamless, perfect little piece, it just constantly takes me out of the moment and reminds me of how kind of quickly thrown together or cheaply put together it was. You know, clearly we don't have McCartney as the producer like we do on the next album, but it does still inspire me to explore the album further i mean will that be the best decision for me in the future we will get onto that i am sure but as an album opener i was i was more than happy with this it was it was exceeding my expectations i agree i think it just it, it, it makes you ready for more and then when destiny unknown hits that next beat especially on vinyl um you just merges right in you get slammed with the guitar i think that's a great transition and it's very unexpected Speaking of such a track, we're going to move on to song two, which is actually a whole minute longer than the last one. You know, slow down there, Danny. We're getting into some pretty lengthy tracks here with Destination Unknown. <laughs> Destiny unknown 
searching for From lover to lover And door to door Why don't I dread to leave my bed And sleep on the of the album I could if it could live up to this track at least uh, it's a very simple enjoyable rocker that kicks things off with a bang and it felt very classically Denny Lane to me but you know Chloe whilst Denny's destiny may be unknown what are your thoughts on this album opener you know are they known love that segue I think um, I love this. This is I, I starred my three favorite songs on the album, and this is one of them. Um, I, I think it's just so to me, it's very well produced. It's crisp and clean, especially for you know like late sixties, early seventies recording. I think it sounds so crisp and so clean for an original recording like that. It'll definitely blow your hearing out if you had Big Ben turned up like I do in your headphones. <laughs> so you got to know that's coming. But yeah, I, I love the harmonica in the middle when it just goes into that crazy solo. And then towards the end, Denny just like screaming, Destiny Unknown. I think it's it's wild, you know, it's a it's a loud, punchy rock song. And I like it on a slightly lyrical level as well, mm. on a lyrical level, because I think it really summarizes everything Denny Lane's gonna sing about for the next 30 years as well, <laughs> <laughs> as far as just traveling and not knowing where he's going it's a very denny lane song to me and we don't really get more songs like this until 1982 so it's a treasure 
I I agree with you there. I really do like this song lyrically. It's got uh, a theme of like uncertainty and and anxiety. It seems to be a, a bit of a post breakup song, you know, in the way that a lot of Paul songs are just about love. Denny's songs tend to kind of do that as well, or they seem to be about relationships in general. Um, Denny's songs are all about the breakups. <laughs> yeah, Denny's Denny's a bit of a, uh, a, the uh, Taylor Swift of his era, just constantly writing about relationships that didn't quite go well. I did I did like one lyric in the song. It's like, what could it be? What is it for? From lover to lover, from door to door, why do I dread to leave my bed and sleep on the floor? Uh, I printed that one out to mention because I like it so much. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite line in the song. Why don't I dread to leave my bed and sleep on the floor? That's just, I love that. It, it just says everything right there. It's such a modern line. It, 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 like, I feel like Denny would be very in touch with meme culture. It seems like it's definitely part of that kind of modern depressive kind of mindset there. But there's also a sort of uh, sly humor to it all as well. Like there could just be an, an air where all of this is kind of sarcastic and Denny's very self-aware of what he's singing about. It, it never seems to be too serious. So, you know, you, you can never totally side against it in that way. I guess with a lot of the uh, lyrics on this album, a lot of them seem to be kind of falling back on general blues platitudes, but he seems to be, again, quite self-aware of that, which is which is at least refreshing in the sense that you know that if he's ever going down a very well-worn road, he knows he's going down it. You know, there's there's no denial going on here. But musically, surprisingly strong. It feels like one he had in his back pocket for a while. I love that staccato little guitar riff. Uh, I, I love the tone he gets out of his guitar. The I love bass. the bass for the song. It's yeah, like yeah, go on. Say, it drives that song. No, it, it, uh, it makes it for me. This is one. Of, okay. this, will, this will be the first of many tracks you'll say that I imagine. I think this should have been the single, like hands mm. down. I'm furious that it was not. Should what have would you have as the B side? Everybody, but we're jumping ahead there. Interesting. <laughs> oh my gosh! Here we go, folks. This is this is getting very interesting. Interesting indeed. We get a blistering harmonica solo moment because, of course, we do. It's it's very bluesy. It's very Denny. I did a random episode of my Patreon vlog today and I, I looked at the rear of uh, Wings Over America and it's called Gob Iron. It's a, it's a Diddy Lane guitar, piano, bass, Gob Iron rather than harmonica, which I thought was a very funny way to put it indeed. In terms of vocals, Denny Lane does this nice little combination of quite reserved yet powerful and strained at the same time he, he he does manage to get quite a lot of emotion over without having to scream let's say paul did in the late 80s early 90s though the backing vocals are the most thrilling part of the entire track for me uh, like out of nowhere they they do get quite emotional uh, though i do have to point out that they are kind of mixed in a little haphazardly because uh, when they come in, despite that they've, they're really excited, you can't hear what the main vocal is at all. And the uh, issue with the vocal mixing is going to be apparent across this album, really. I have to counter you on that. I just, I, I can't hold back because to me, that's what makes it so good. I love how it layers <laughs> and you have, like, I have to go back and listen to the song again to hear what the other vocalists say, you know. I, I love that. To each their own. 
sweet. Damn. It, it's like a. It's it's like, it's like the vocals are two trains and they're going at different speeds and crossing each other. That's how it sounds to me. Feels like a badly worded math question, though. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you've got a train leaving St. Louis at eighty miles an hour and got a train leaving New York at to two hundred miles an hour, at what point do they create a mediocre Denny Lane song? Uh, <laughs> Love it. What this song really highlighted for me, though, and we spoke about this offline ever so briefly, is that there are no Denny Lane lyrics available online. You can't go on lyrics.com or anything like that. You can't even go on the Paul McCartney project.com and find Denny Lane lyrics. Is this a, a crusade that you might take up one day to help fulfill all Denny Lane fans out there? It's a crusade I've taken up a while ago. I have a Google Docs account that's just filled with my transcribed Denny Lane lyrics. My problem is that I can't always make out what he's saying in bits. And if I can't get it 100% right, I don't want to put it anywhere. So I'm working to decode a couple things. But no, I've been working to transcribe transcribe this album and a couple others. Because I think, obviously, the lyrics are a huge part of music. Denny Lane is a lyricist. And he can write he, he writes really beautiful stuff just to put it bluntly so i do think it's important at some point that the lyrics become accessible because i think people are more likely to listen to something also if they can pull up the lyrics you know it helps understand what you're listening to just to see it and i know for me like when i go through listening to the song and typing out what he's saying i definitely comes like three-dimensional you know you're getting the, the full picture well he's the he's the second most important prolific songwriter in all of Wings, even if second place and first place are quite uh, sparse indeed. It's definitely a shame because he's definitely got enough to say to last a full album, even if it maybe wasn't meant to be put out in this kind of way. Uh, But he's a singer-songwriter and you have to respect that. He's not just falling back on the same eight cover versions that everyone else is playing at this time, especially if it's late 60s as well and every song on this album you know it's it's all original all written by him and that goes for really all of his albums he doesn't do covers he doesn't do re-releases the record companies do but he doesn't and i just think it's a damn shame that there weren't liner notes with the lyrics in this album and all the others so so what's on the back of our lane then it's got another picture denny No wing shirt uh, in this one. Got a jacket instead. Oh, there's, no lyrics. There's, 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 there's no inserts on the out. Is there an album sleeve or a gatefold or anything? Sadly, nothing. Just flimsy cardboard, flimsy sleeve. I do so love, I just love Wizard Records. I love their logo. So I always appreciate that. It's a focus for you. I just think the font's really cool. So there's that. Folks, this isn't an episode of Macca in your attic, but this is close enough. I'm getting some wonderful shots of a Wizard record there. I don't think I have anything in my collection from Wizard. Definitely going to make make sure I amend that. Before we move on, I can't ignore the fact that the entire time I listened to this song, I was completely distracted by the fact that I was constantly reminded of a forgotten dance track from the early 2000s called Destination Unknown by Galax Gordino. And I'm not sure if that song reached the States at all. I don't think it charted. But I'm going to pause the proceedings here so that I can quickly show it to Chloe right now. So, everyone, go go into the uh, description of this episode and you'll find Destination Unknown by Alex Gord or Gardino. 
and I'll I'll link you to to the music video. It, it's it's certainly something indeed. Uh, I do I do apologise, but the entire time you were just thinking of this song and thinking about what you talk about with Danny Lane, I was just picturing those. Oh no, you've been forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you're never going to hear anything else now. I do apologise, but that's the way things go. I'm afraid. In terms of all of these songs, I'm going to kind of posit the idea of, you know, what if this album hadn't been released and Denny kind of had these in his back pocket for Wings? We've already kind of touched on with the last one. I know you mentioned this, that Big Ben would be a wonderful little link track Mm -hmm. uh, for any Wings album. I totally agree with that. But with Destiny Unknown, there's a part of me thinking... This could have been on Wildlife. This, I mean, Wildlife only has eight tracks, so it's well under the uh, sound uh, time limit for an album. This totally could have been on Wings' first album. Destiny Unknown sounds like a Wings song to me, and I, I think that's a going back to what we were discussing earlier. That says a lot about Denny's role in Wings because, I mean, that song especially, but really the whole album. It sounds like a Wings album, but Wings didn't exist yet when it was being recorded. It's it's Denny Lane's sound. And yeah, I think that would really fit on wildlife or even I could see it on Red Bear Speedway, honestly. Um, yeah, I, I would love to hear Wings playing this. I'd love to hear Henry, Henry McCulloch playing guitar on that. that. That would be awesome. Or if they did it later, I'd love to hear Jimmy playing guitar on it too, you know? It'd be cool with some slide guitar going. Just Lawrence Juba going, what, what is this, Danny? What are we playing right now? This sounds like this is over 10 years old. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, at, at this point on the episode, I'm pleasantly surprised with our lane so far. Pleasantly surprised. But we're going to go to third place and we're just going to sit back and, and let Danny s- slow things down a little with Baby Caroline. Caroline, 
out there have met a lot of girls called Caroline and they've made and broken a lot of hearts or maybe you know just the word ends in I which makes the uh, song quite easy to write but you've got Sweet Caroline you've got Caroline No by the Beach Boys you've got Caroline by Status Quo and Fleetwood Mac as well as two songs uh, from Lou Reed being Caroline 1 and Caroline 2 Chloe do you feel like Denny Lane lives up to all of those other classic Caroline songs or is this just a lesser Caroline, as it were? Well, to be honest, I'm a huge Neil Diamond fan, and not <laughs> Neil Diamond fan, and nothing can beat Sweet Caroline. But uh, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. but this song, no, I think this song is it's not my favorite on the album, but I do really like it. I have to be in the mood to listen to it. To be honest, like it's good if you're really sad or something. I guess. I think it has a cool guitar part. I like how the guitar echoes the melody throughout the song and it kind of like goes with the vocal really nicely, just that mm. open melody line. Fun story about the name of the song, actually. It was, it's about a girl who was named Caroline. She was the girlfriend of Keith Reed, who wrote the lyrics to Profile Harem's A Lighter Shade of Pale. Mm. Um, I guess Denny Lane was just friends with them, so he knew them. It's not a love song to her. Um, Denny actually compared it to Paul writing Eleanor Rigby in that it's just an observation of her. He's he's just watching. Don't compare yourself Caroline. to Eleanor Rigby, Denny. Oh no, that's that's, <laughs> that's your first. He did say song. that. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's about just kind of. I mean, when you look at the lyrics, it's just kind of how this girl's messing up her life, I guess, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, it's, I, I like that it's just kind of like an outside view looking in on the person. I I like the very steady, basic bass line, you know, just up and down. And I like the cool ending where at the end where it goes up in pitch, if you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm not sure if you remember. Yeah. So I think that's a cool way to wind up the song. It sounds like it's almost getting faster, like, like the tape's winding up. So you could put that off as bad production or you could say it's a cool decision. <laughs> And it was released also as a single, but not until 1977, which I think is unfortunate. <laughs> it wasn't released for a single for four years. 
let's yeah. just have a let's just have a close look at that one. What, what yeah, so this is the single on Paladin Records. <laughs> so that photo is going to be nine years old. That's on the cover of that from Paladin. Well, yeah, because it's it's from the same photo shoot. If you look at the clothes, oh my God. it's the exact same cover shoot. And um, it's a, it's a nice little song. I think the B side is yeah, the blues. Jumping ahead again. Interesting combination. Not bad, but a shame that it took until '77 because I'm sure nobody. I'll just say these are very few and far between on Discogs, but they're also very cheap. <laughs> so did you have to get it off Discogs or did you find that on eBay? How, how did you get that stuff? I've bought every Denny Lane record I own. I've gotten off Discogs except Al Lane. I got for like $5 on eBay. But Discogs is the way to go for all of his singles, especially like Electric String Band, Ginger Baker's Air Force Balls. You got to go to Discogs. I've never, I've never, I've, I've never taken that step. I feel like that's just another world for me, just to go the full discogged route and trusting someone online to send you an album when you send them money and there's not a multi-trillion dollar company to back you up in terms of like Amazon or eBay or something, something like, like that. Uh, but there's quite a lot of wing stuff and obscure mechanics stuff that... Uh, the I've, I've had mostly good songs. experiences with discogs, but I did buy one Denny record and it was actually cracked down the middle. It's a, it's a <sighs> Maggie Bell, Everlasting Love. Um, with Denny on backing vocals and it's unplayable so yeah hit or miss did you at least get a fun sleeve to frame and never listen to yeah I'll, I'll send you a picture but I don't have it on me but that's awesome. over there but yeah it's pretty cool that's all you need in terms of this song in terms of baby Caroline admittedly I like the arrangement right right from the get-go it's, it's simple but done well enough there's a nice keyboard a bit of keyboard work uh, the drums are completely appropriate and serviceable. I like the little acoustic guitar in the background. The main riff was just fucking catchy right away. It's clear that riff writing and melody is where Denny's strength lie. Uh, you know, again, it's not the most like complex or technically impressive song, I guess, for like, you know, in instrumentalist, they might declare that this is a bit you know, bog standard, but. You know, you can't deny that in its simplicity, it's very memorable and melodic. Uh, I'm also not someone who's very forgiving of solos that are just the melody played again in a different key. But since I enjoy this melody so much, I'm willing to look the other way, at least just this once on the album. As you said, I like the way that the guitar riff is transposed into the melody, uh, the vocal melody, the uh, the chorus of, I'm only your baby. I'm not your baby. That's really fun, and I, 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 you know it was quite fun how and funny how often I, I I caught myself singing along to it, you know, as the album was just playing in the background. The verses are a little clunkier than I'd like. Uh, I kind of wish that some better words had been mapped out for such a strong melody. I, I liked how you know Caroline wasn't necessarily a good person. It wasn't a basic love song, but. A lot of the rhymes are quite lazy. It's full of kind of generic songwriting uh, phrasing. And in particular, you have the middle eight for the bridge, which aside from being very musically kind of turgid, it felt like it was only there to be a middle eighth or a bridge to get us back to the main verses and chorus rather than being something that needs to exist. You know, it's quite sickeningly basic, I guess would be the, uh, the best way to put it. Uh, you know, you, 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 you've got a line like, Caroline, I'm going to make you, make you, make you, make you mine. You know, McCartney's been utterly crucified for worse than that. And that's a pretty, a 
pretty terrible line. It's a little too close to cringy for my liking. Do I want this to be a wing song? No, but it's definitely one of those tracks that definitely could have benefited maybe from a McCartney co-write or something like that. That's to me, that's what holds it back for me because I do like the song. It's catchy. It's stuck in my head right now as I'm speaking. I just hear it. Like it's so catchy, but it's so basic. And that's the thing. There's just, I feel like anyone could have written it, honestly. And that's, it just doesn't stand out for me. I do like Danny's vocal though. I think he sounds great. I'll give him that. I can't, I can't say I dislike it. I just, I want it to be better. I do. I do. Uh, I'm, I'm still very charitable at this early point in the album. And we're going to press on to uh, track four. And this next song, the title sounds like some advice my friends would tell me if I was ever trying to approach a girl on a night out. This is, don't try, you'll be refused. <laughs> change of pace as we shift over to a kind of borderline country western star track and i was i was pleased just to see how varied this album was already you know there's quite clearly a limited pool of instruments and players for denny at this point in the recording but he's still able to deliver a, a very wide bunch of genres and do them well and it's that kind of adaptability that would be key for him to stay in wings as long as he did you know, with the ever-shifting interests of McCartney and you know, you know particularly with a song like Send Me the Heart which is quite evocative of this but I'm going to pass it to you now what do you think of this number are you taken by its charm or is it maybe a little bit too kitsch for you I love the song again um, my only complaint <laughs> is that I hate the fade out I hate how short it is it's under two minutes long mm-hmm. and again what, what there is the the full song did exist at one point um that was down to the production decisions unfortunately where it was faded out i guess to be you know keep the album moving because 
keep it quick, you know, so people didn't get tired of it, is my understanding. Um, but I think it's very unfortunate how it fades out early. Um, and there was a full version that will never be heard, sadly. But I would love to hear that. Oh, no, there's a lost version of this song. Oh. Yeah, it was edited down. I mean, maybe it's on a tape somewhere, but Danny Lane would know it. I don't know who would. Tony Secunda's relatives, maybe. But I think the... I like it a lot. I think I noted that the backing vocals are charming. I like Danny's singing overall. And I really like the lyrics. It actually reminded me of Paul McCartney's Find My Way, in a way, just the way he's like doling out advice where it's like, oh, but don't forget that you are you. Don't forget that you're someone too. And don't forget that when you bet, sometimes you got to expect to lose. I just think that's very, to me, that's very Paul, actually. Mm -hmm. And I think it's pretty cool. I like that line. And the chimes yeah. at the end are really cool. He's way more positive than you'd give him credit for being, you know, the supposed person who's meant to be the counter to Paul. Maybe that, maybe that's why Wings was so saccharine and fun and uplifting that whole time because it was Paul and Denny together, both both going, you know, maybe we should talk about love. Yeah, Paul, maybe we should. You know, uh, that's definitely why it's not the Beatles. This song is definitely organised into a subgenre I call good for what it is. Uh, you know, Denny's not particularly reinventing the wheel here, but it's perfectly enjoyable as a piece of written music. The guitar work is so on point in terms of the genre it's going for here. Like, it definitely feels like it's part of the classic songwriting canon. You know, if someone said this was from the 30s, yeah, I could, I, I could imagine someone 30 years prior to this, 40 years, 50 years prior to this, was singing this in the American Midwest somewhere. That's what uh, it sounds like. It sounds like they're all in a saloon, completely drunk. Just, you know, <laughs> that's what I hear. I love it. It's so on point. There's there's really hardly a, a, a wrong foot put forward with it. Uh, Denny totally seems to inhabit this kind of genre far more naturally than you'd ever expect. There's a double vocal that's actually quite subtle in spots, but I find it to be quite effective. Uh, he, he does a lot of Denny shouting, which I do have a soft spot for. I'm kind of fond of how, like, you didn't like how short it was. For me, it, it was definitely back in that realm of it's so short that it leaves me wanting more. Uh, I, I do enjoy how slapdash and thrown together it is. I also like it the way the song just kind of, like, uh, again, kind of opposite to you, sorry. <laughs> yeah, just kind of goes by and just starts fading out. There's just part of me going, hang on, wait. I actually quite like that. Maybe if it ended properly, I wouldn't have liked it as much. I probably would have thought it'd be quite generic. But the fact that it leaves that little bit of mystery for me, I'm like, hang on, this might be the greatest song ever. And this is the carnival of light of Denny Lane. What? Where's the rest of this song? I, I, I could see this as a Wings number, not on an album, but the, oh, this could totally be a Wings B-sign on, on, on a single, 100%. It sounds like something they would have rehearsed, definitely. And I do think it's interesting that you say that because um, most people, when they like when I read reviews about this album and see what people think about it and what they're saying, they always say that this is the one of the most gleaming examples of the bad production of the album, the way it cuts off. So it's very refreshing, actually, to hear that opinion where you think that might be a good thing. No, I mean, there are so many McCartney songs that just end for no reason, or it's just, this is moving on to the next song of the album. Let's not get too bogged down in this. Sure. Maybe I've got less of a, an expectation of something conventional, because I know that Denny was in a very unconventional band. Uh, so a, a move like this isn't that shocking to me, but 
it's definitely fun. There's a real laissez-faire attitude that's certainly part of its appeal. And I kind of wish there was more of this across the rest of the album, really. Uh, it kind of epitomizes that bohemian, freewheeling aspect of Danny's life that we uh, touched on earlier. I mean, that's Danny's area of expertise right there. If you delve into the rest of his stuff, absolutely, you're going to find a lot of that freewheeling kind of country western style that's just kind of ambient, aimless, peaceful. I'd say that's a specialty. The kind of music where the writer would totally be fine with going around Europe in a double-decker bus, definitely. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, we are used to the idea of the Beatles doing everything first, but with our next song, we have Denny coming close to coining the phrase Talk to the Hand and the band name Talking Heads. Close, but no cigar. This is Talk to the Head.
And right away, we are back into that middle of the road, bluesy R&B kind of thing that we know Danny is very comfortable doing. But in this song's defense, even though it isn't the most memorable thing ever, it certainly feels like a song that isn't three and a half minutes long. It really flies by, Talk to the Head does. And that can only mean that I at least somewhat enjoy it subconsciously, even in you know my cynical, critical thinking mind won't allow me to appreciate that fully consciously. This song has to be at least a little bit of fun. My gut tells me so. I think... I think it it's a very nice follow-up to um, Don't Try, It'll Be Refused because I think it carries on that bluesy, relaxed vibe, but it's definitely t- meant to be taken a lot more seriously than the previous track. Um, I know Denny had said that the song's about like praying and talking to God, so it's definitely got that more serious tone to me. I, I honestly don't have that much to say about this one. I like it, but it's not a high point for me. It's just kind of generic, in my opinion. Okay, interesting. I've written that it's filler, but not necessarily bad. Just because something's filler, it doesn't have to be completely written off. Um, it's enjoyable filler, but it is filler. Being someone who overthinks songs a lot, I kind of thought that this was about Denny talking to his own head, like he's talking to himself, talking through his own problems and stuff. But if this is talking to God, then I've definitely got to go back and listen to these lyrics before I talk about them fully. But uh, one thing that did stand out lyrically to me is the use of the phrase free as a bird. Uh, obviously, Paul stole this from Denny in uh, in the early 90s for the Threedles. Uh, I will get a lawsuit going for Denny there very, very soon. Uh, maybe Not the first thing Paul stole from Denny either. Also, Lonely oh. Road. <laughs> that was a Denny Lane album. Shots fired, everyone. <laughs> you heard it first here. You heard it first. I do like the uh, electric piano and the, uh, the piano riff. That's pretty catchy. Uh, there's kind of a swampy Delta Blues feel to this track. Again, very obviously Denny Lane. It's got just, unfortunately, one of those very competent but boring Denny Lane solos. That's very functional, just fills the gap of a song. Uh, we also, two songs in a row, get a dual, a dueling two-part harmonizing solo, which is quite interesting in its own right. Though with this track, I kind of feel like his reach is beyond his grasp. Like you, you know, with this production and with these melodies and with and with the arrangement of all these songs, that he wants to do more creative, expansive stuff. And yet, he's got this kind of half-rate setup and these okay players who aren't given the best equipment ever. And I bet a lot of these tracks sounded way better in his head. Yeah, talk to the head. Uh, poor, poor, poor pun. I do apologise. But if I could go back in time and give Denny the cash to fulfill that vision accurately, I totally would. I'd love to hear what this song is kind of supposed to sound like rather than the way it does. I think that's a really great way to put it, what it's supposed to sound like, because that's what it is to me. Again, like you said, it, it it's there, but it's not there. Like it, it has the potential and it's almost there. And if it just had a little more to it again to me if, if wings perform this song even if they just ran through it like find a way um i think it would just add so much it just doesn't have like the musicians overall it feels like nobody's into it in my opinion it just seems kind of all right done next one speaking of tracks that people might not necessarily be into let's move on to the final track of side one it might be the most english title of all time which is 
sons of Elton Haven Brown.
Okay. Whilst I didn't take the time to make notations of every lyric, from what I can gather, this is a song about the titular sons of Elton Heyman Brown, who come from good stock but have become like highwaymen or bank robbers, that kind of thing. Uh, as we move through the verses, we hear about their hard lives through crime and punishment before the eldest brother is struck down. Haven Brown and his sons then get their guns and turn the local town into a battlefield against those who presumably had killed the son. I'm well, I think it all started because someone killed their mom and then they're all getting revenge. Oh, it's, oh someone killed the mom? I think. That's what I think the lyric's saying. <laughs> yeah, folks, look, no matter how expert, uh, full of expertise we may sound right now, it's very hard to tell what anyone is singing about in any of these songs. Really. You really do have to kind of stop whatever you're doing. You can't have a YouTube video on in the background. If you are listening to this album, you have to have a pen and paper at hand. But did you, like me, go onto YouTube and type in Elton Haven Brown to see if this was a real thing? Or have, have you now come to the realisation as well that this is just some madcap thing cooked up by the mind of Danny Lane? Honestly, I'm so relieved to hear you say that because it has haunted <laughs> me. I cannot tell you. There's nothing. So it, it's got to just be... I, I need to ask. I want to ask him next time I speak to him because it's driving me crazy. I I don't know. It's I thought maybe it's about a historical event. So I'm like Googling in quotation marks every keyword, place. Wikipedia UK, yeah. Wikipedia US, France. Yeah. It's gotta be somewhere. Find me like 10 pages deep into the Wikipedia on like Blenheim Pass. Like I'm I'm going through it trying to find something. But no, I, a civil war general somewhere called Elton Haven Brown. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, it very well could be. I'm I'm so intrigued by that story, and I'm just a real sucker for like a traditional narrative folk song with a good morbid story going on with lots of you know murder and violence to an upbeat tune. I think it's a really cool song. I think it to me. I'm very happy with it being the longest song on the album. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, I can feel the disagreement. But no, to me, this Ariel. is one of my top three songs on this album. It, the, I think the bass, again, just drives the song. Yeah, I think the, it's unique and very traditional in that there's no chorus. It's just all verses. And the only like slight nod to pop music, the only thing that makes it somewhat contemporary is the key change towards the end. But it's still, there's no chorus. It's just straight through this crazy story and i i love it can't get enough of it <laughs> where does one begin um counter that <laughs> yeah for a song where lyrics and storytelling could not be more important uh one cannot help but point out the perversion of production that hampers this track it's hard to get invested with a half-heard story in my opinion uh the the, the only like clever thing that I picked up in the song was how the first verse and the last verse are exactly the same and yet when you hear them both in different points of the song they kind of recontextualize what's going on you know because uh, uh, the first time it's the sons re re returning home from some uh, unknown escapade and then the second time you, you hear the first verse maybe they're returning back alive from the climactic battle or not that's really fun Again, another track where I'm like, ah, oh, if Denny had done this properly, it might sound quite good, but he hasn't done it properly. I'm really sorry here. Uh, 
To me, it really reminds me of Don McLean's The Legend of Andrew McCrew. I'm just, I don't know. I just. I thought you were saying American Pie. This is no, this is (laughs) no, not at all. So bye, bye, Elton Heaven Brown. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you're onto something. No, I mean, if I have to say something negative about it, to be not completely biased here, I would say that Denny's vocal sounds a little bored, or honestly, it just sounds like kind of flat and stoned. It doesn't, he doesn't sound that into it. So that's the only downside. But to me, the half-baked story is what just makes me want more. I, I want to know what it's about. And I'll, I'm going to keep Googling it till I find out. <laughs> Normally, I'm a champion of atypical tracks. But for me, the lack of a solo bridge, chorus, pre-chorus, anything like that is, is just so dull. Uh, it feels like a mostly unchanging backing track. Uh, it really reminds me of bad spoken word poetry that I've heard here in Birmingham, bad spoken word poetry that I've been a part of and contributed to. If I don't know, I kind of feel like the band haven't rehearsed together before this track. Maybe this is one of the first things they recorded. Uh, I know you mentioned that they've recorded uh, or at least rehearsed together prior to this. This doesn't sound like that at all. Um, something else is needed here. And it never ends. Like, I don't mind a boring song that's two and a half minutes long, but when it's, what, 87 minutes minutes long? (laughs) It feels feels longer than that. It definitely does. Uh, It's quite boorish, I must admit. So you're feeling the lack of the chorus there, then? You think that would make it better? A lack of of everything. (laughs) It it, it, it barely feels like a song. It's just Denny talking like this, and he just keeps on talking. It's like, okay, okay, we need some... We need something wrong here. And then it ends pretty pathetically. We just get two little plinky plonks on the piano and then it just stops. It doesn't end. It doesn't conclude. It just stops. And uh, I feel like they just ran out of space at the end, even though they didn't, because I know they probably got another 12 minutes on this side of the album, especially considering how short it is. (laughs) Tongue out, two thumbs down with this one. Maybe side two will bear further fruit. And to start off, you have the only song that I'd heard before, before doing the research for this episode, which is Find a Way Somehow. If I could get a word across. It cost in spite of all the time we lost. I get it to you now. Find a way to say What does it matter Anyway But if you want me to Okay I'll think of something now 
some people preach all the time about this light that we're all trying to find. They promise so much, they lose their minds. first time I've, I've heard this track actually uh, during a recent episode of this podcast where I was looking at hot hits and cold cuts uh, bonus tracks and things left on the cutting room floor we, uh, we were looking at the 1977 Water Wings London Town Sessions and one of the songs that uh, Denny played aboard the Fair Carol in the Virgin Islands was a track called Find A Way Somehow and I got really excited because I thought that this was uh, a, a, a new track that had been left off the album that you know didn't exist before and now a couple of days ago I realised that it was just a track of our lane the entire time probably Paul and Linda were the only people on the boat that knew about it at the time I, 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 I really doubt Joe English uh, <laughs> and Jimmy McCulloch had heard of this track before but yeah that was a track that I thought was a real thing um, there's a line in Domino's, uh, the, the track off Egypt Station, where Paul mentions, uh, we're going to find a way somehow. And I was like, oh my God, there's, there's going to be some sort of through link here. Probably not. Um, have Have you heard of the Wings version of this song before we uh, continue? Yeah, I actually heard the Wings version before I heard the Arlene <laughs> version, just because of accessibility. The Wings version's been on YouTube for years. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so maybe it's that, but to me, that will always be the better version. I do love the album version. I don't think it really should have been the single on the album. I think it could have been something else, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, is just a little bit of a downer. I think the Wings version is great. I love uh, Denny's vocal and Jimmy's guitar. It's so good. You know, I could turn that all the way up all day. This one, uh, the album version, to me, it sounds like Let Me Roll It. I don't know if it's like the rhythm. It, it just really sounds like Let Me Roll It to me, and I can't not hear that. It's just a slow blues song. I do like it. Very mellow. I like the piano at the end, but not the abrupt fade out so much. Um, again, this song does have a longer version of it that's just lost to time. Um, didn't make it on the album. They cut it down. Yeah, I the one thing that does stand out about this song for me and does make me listen to the song every time is the spoken word part towards the middle end-ish area. Mm-hmm. I love that part. I think Denny kills that. I really can't disagree with you there. I just feel like it's just not as good as the Wings version. And that's 
not as much of a, a, a diss as one might think. You know, they were as close as any band ever were at that point. There were great players in the band there. And all I can say is I wish this wasn't on this album and that Wings had put this on London Town in place of Children Children. I think it I think it, I think it would have helped the album out immensely. Uh I would take off famous groupies or something, but <gasps> either way, it does I like that song. Don't get me wrong. I like all of London Town, but wouldn't take off Children Children. It's too crucial. My heart, folks, my heart weeps right now. But we will continue on with the episode. Um, being that, you know, this was the only song I'd heard prior to this album, I had certain expectations for it. And this album version does not live up to them at all. Unfortunately, the slapdash nature of this album and this particular track just compounds. And it's quite sad that, you know, Wings can do this song better in the middle of the ocean than the band can in a proper studio. But the core framework of the song is relatively strong still. I know Denny would have been able to do a better version of the song if the band had had a little more time, perhaps, to perfect this in the studio and reach its full potential. But as it stands, it's pretty half-hearted, pretty underwhelming. Again, the core melody, the, the, the core melody is there. It's still a fun song. Find a way somehow. I'm completely turned off. Do forgive me, but it's not like this is a complete write-off at all. No, it's not. I mean, I, again, I listen to it every time. I don't skip it, but it, it's not. It's just not stellar to me. It's just kind of slow. And I'm somebody who always listens in the context of the full album. I don't just pull out random tracks usually. So hearing the slow track after Sons of Elton Haven Brown, it just to me, it's just like a drop off in interest. And again, I don't dislike it. I'm, this is from the point of all of this is still better than like 90% of music out there for me. But <laughs> in the context of this album, it's, yeah, it's not, it's just, it could have more again. Up next, we have a song whose title really feels like it's overselling the quality somewhat. This is Having Heaven. <laughs>
classic rock and roll feel to it. I mean, the moment I saw that the title had an apostrophe at the end rather than a G with having, making it having, uh, I knew that this was going to be a kind of Buddy Holly light track or Little Richard uh, evoking kind of track. And you know what? Denny Lane does rock and roll pretty darn well. And I found this song to be one of the most easily enjoyable tracks on the entire album. I mean, it's a pretty surface level enjoyment. And in the grand scope of music, it really isn't much to write home about, but gosh darn it, did it give the album a breath of fresh air and the kick up the arse that it sorely needed to make it exciting once again. But Chloe, would you listen to this song again and again and again, or is it time to hide when it comes to this song playing on the radio? Not that it ever has played on the radio. It's a crime and it should be on the radio (laughs) every day. I think this song is just so good. I mean, yeah, we got that 50s rock and roll, that the bass in the beginning. It's just, again, so powerful. And that's one of the, one of just such a key factor. The cool syncopation and the bridge and the intro, you know, it really gets your attention. It hooks you in. It's fast. Denny's vocal just builds through the whole song. He's screaming at the end. And it's like a skiffle style at the end when he's just screaming and bluesy. And then the car crash at the end. It's crazy. I love it. What is that car crash at the end? Like, it has to be something to do with Paul is dead, right? Uh, they they wouldn't just throw in a car crash sound and not have it be about the fact that Paul McCartney died in 1967. It has to be about that. Even if it is just a stock car crash sound effect that was probably in a soundboard somewhere where he was recording the album. <laughs> Denny Lane was pretty, uh, I know around that period and through the 80s, he was pretty into um, racing cars. He even has a song about that in the 80s. So I, I think it might be relating to that. And then in Talk to the Head, if we go back a bit, he's singing about crashing his car. So I, I always wonder if that's oh. harkening back to that. Because he says, and I got a scar from, from when I crashed my car. I guess I should have gone slower and not gone too far. Then here we're just slamming through like a window or something. <laughs> even if it wasn't, he will now have listened to this, or at least the guy who runs his Instagram will have. And they'll tell him to say that it was that all along. So... Uh, we'll we'll be uncredited slash credited in the next Denny Lane book I'm sure 
yeah, I kind of overthought this uh, one, especially the, uh, the the car crash sound effect. I was like, oh, is the only way he can have heaven is by dying and go to heaven? No, Sam, it's probably it's probably not that deep at all. I mean, there's people out there who think Denny Denny Lane is Billy Shears, you know, obviously, and he and Paul were never in the same band together since he replaced them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you just you just hacked Paul is dead. You got it. The one and only Denny Lane. Yeah. It, Definitely works, definitely. Definitely. Like you say, though, this is catching. The vocal melody is catchy as hell. Uh, it's got a real fun to the speed of it. It would be quite complex to perform live. If it ever was performed live, this would be a really fun one to hear. Paul and the rest of Wings do. Like, on the, like a 1972 European tour, this would be a perfect song just to throw in there somewhere. Um, you yeah, know, he would kill it on the harmonica. It would be, yeah, showstopper. On the garbage, definitely. There are so many tracks that just you're like, what the hell is that? When you read like a wing set list, it's like, why is there more just solo Denny stuff here? Let's let's try and do something a little bit different. But yeah, Paul really wasn't going to let that happen. Right, can't have that. Yeah, fun song. Yeah, it, it holds its own. I really thought I was going to hate more of this album than I than I did. And whilst, you know, probably not going to be listening to this nearly as much as, say, something like Holidays. If this came on, if this came on Shuffle on, like, an iPod or Spotify or something, I'm not going to go, Ugh. So uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty chuffed so far. I really am. And we're going to move on to the first, uh, you know, we're going to move to the beginning of the end now with On That Early Morn.
up with a song like this. I guess I'd call it a firebrand. Uh, I've no idea why this is so late on the album. This totally would have uh, brightened up the slower first half greatly. Uh, it's one of those songs that is less melodic and is instead more about sheer like vigour and energy and vitality. From the moment it starts, it's just a, a whirlwind of sound and you get lost in that infectious energy of it all. You know, a lot of people might not, but for me, I was well into the groove and the sound of the album at this point, And I kind of expected where this song was aimed for and where it was going. And I was along for the ride the moment I heard it. You know, we haven't really discussed sequencing much on this album, but what do you think of the organisation of the tracks on this album so far, including this track? I wasn't going to go that direction, but since you asked, I have definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely played Preach. a lot of like fantasy football, I guess you can call it, with this album, rearranging the tracks. I have, I'm torn, to be honest, because on one hand, I agree with what you're saying. It's so upbeat and it's so strong and it's, it's definitely, it should be, on the first side of the album, it should be on the A side. But at the same time, I think it keeps it keeps the B side moving. You know, it keeps. I hate albums that are really strong and they drop off. And you don't even want to flip it over. You just only play one side, and never flip mm-hmm. it. So this kind of makes me flip the album. You know, I like it a lot. I think the way Heaven Heaven blends into this one again. In that way, the sequencing is really strong. So yeah, I might move it a few earlier. But I, I wouldn't put it at like track two or anything like that. Track three, yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's like a boogie rock track almost. It's, it's pretty crazy again. The harmonica, the guitar. To me, the harmonica is just so again signature Denny Lane. It's just so nonstop. It's like you're back listening to the Magnificent Moody's again. And the way the guitar and the harmonica and the vocal are kind of dueling each other for the spotlight. It's a very aggressive song. And then the lyrics, too. He's just, like, getting up and leaving her. <laughs> Pretty brutal. I totally agree with that. This is a real uplifting antidote to kind of a, a flagging album, perhaps some people might think. Uh, I mean, especially with the last two songs. The, the These two together really kind of reinvigorated my interest in where this album's going to go and how it's going to end. In terms of the composition, though, it's got a delightful, I guess all over the place kind of quality. Uh, maybe like more level-headed or experienced critical voices would call this poor production uh, uh, or unfocused or out of control. But for me, I, I agree with all those words, but just not in the, in the same tone. It's a far more complimentary phrase uh, for me in terms of how all over the place this track is. I find the vibe to be quite charming. It feels like they threw everything bar the kitchen sink into this track with the limited resources that they had. And it, it gives the song something a little bit more interesting to hang on to. Like if it was a little more traditional and reserved, it might be more forgettable. But at least here we get to see the sessions get away from Denny and the producer and see the cards kind of just fall where they may. I just find it quite charming. Uh, there's, there's a Denny Lane harmonica solo I've got a soft spot for that it delivers that in spades and in terms of the vocal uh, if you thought the, if you thought the last one was fast you really haven't seen anything yet with this one it's it's like I said it's very hard edged very energetic very passionate especially for a Denny Lane performance and it's just straight up 
fun as hell. There were some backing vocals that probably should have been brought up in the mix a little bit more. Uh, I don't think that was the intention of Denny for them to be as hilariously quiet as they were. Uh, they're definitely a far cry from the harmony and backing vocals he'd get up to during his Wings tenure. But there was certainly an attempt at something interesting there, I'd say. But over, 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 overall, this is not a bad song. This is one that would definitely also be improved by being a part of the Wings catalogue, again, in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's just wonderfully hectic. It's crazy. I think it's it, like just the ultimate Denny Wings screaming harmonica song. And I think there's nothing to mourn about it. A, a wonderful Red Row Speedway track, actually, the more, the more I think about it. Definitely. Let, let's move on to a track whose title could not be more Denny Lane if it tried. It also could not be more of a generic title if it wanted to be. This is literally The Blues, Chloe. <laughs>
rather shockingly, we have a song that is within Denny Lane's uh, wheelhouse, and it's one that I like. It's kind of obvious, maybe a little bit sad for some, but, you know, the reason this works is because at the end of the day, Denny has somewhat of a limited range, and this is a song called The Blues. This is, you know, a bit like how Ringo Starr can do basic rock and roll tracks or how Arnold Schwarzenegger can do early 80s action. I'm not saying Denny is limited as either of those two examples, but, you know, we've we've seen Denny attempt a bunch of stuff on this album, but it's the basic blues stuff that he does the best. And this song is that. It's a bluesy rocker done very well. And even if this song is okay, it's still pretty damn good. (laughs) Regale me with your take on this track. Again, I I think pretty damn good is an understatement. I really, really like this track. This is one of the ones off this album where if it comes on shuffle, I am definitely listening to it. Because again, it's not that I don't like the rest of the album. I'm just an album listener, but I cannot skip this. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. As you were saying, I think Denny is utilizing his range really well. I like how I, I like the like the lowness in the beginning and then how it just builds again through the end. Yeah, I mean, I just have nothing bad to say about this one at all. I love the guitar. I, I think it's just a really strong track. I guess you could argue that it's a bit generic. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it makes it, in this context, it's just memorable and well done, in my opinion. It's just a strong blues rock track. No, and there are some splendidly generic blues lines, like, I was into looking, but I could never see. I was into freedom, but I was never free. <laughs> Or uh, you don't have a penny, you don't have a pot, but a rich man ain't have any care of what you got. That's my favourite. Any absolutely classic songwriting from you there, son. I can't argue with that. The riff for this one is definitely one of those tracks where the moment it, 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 I hear it, I'm like, oh, actually, this isn't going to be as bad as I remember. Actually, this is actually quite fun, uh, as is the solo. I also enjoyed how the synths are introduced as well as yet another second guitar solo layered on top of the first one. Uh, The little riff that closes out the song is also pretty quirky in its own right as well. Anyone who was expecting a negative review of a Denny Lane song called The Blues probably has their priorities mixed up. But uh, again, for what it is, I can't say too much too negative about this track. I think it would have been a really good live track. It's a shame that I don't think in any, as far to my knowledge, at no point in his career has Denny Lane played this live. And I think it would just be a really good option. It's 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 got that crowd pleaser sound. I don't know. It's like it's blues, but it's it still has that pop ring that makes people like it. Even if he has played this song, he doesn't remember it. That's true as well. <laughs> On to our penultimate track now. And yeah, this is a, the, a title that represents the opposite of the number of people who have listened to it. This is a track called Everybody.
Moose and the Grey Goose or Denny's own soundtrack Arctic Song as soon as I hear that pipe or whistle or flute or whatever it is start playing I get very nostalgic and I felt that I was listening to a very very Denny Lane-esque song uh, whilst it isn't like a straight up sea shanty it's still very much in that mode very obviously so and there's just something about that sea shanty-esque sound that is just so cool and quirky in terms of Denny. And the fact that he's able to pull it off with such finesse and flair is a joy to listen to. Uh, again, this is another one of those tracks where it feels like it's part of an older tradition. Like, where did Denny get this from? He just came up with it himself. That's the coolest answer of all. But, you know, are you as whimsically rose-tinted towards this track as I am? Um, aside from Sons of Elton Hayden Brown, this is absolutely my favorite song on the album. Um, it, it's like, like you were saying, Morse Moose, but it's as if you put Buddy Holly as the front man on Morse Moose and the Grey Goose gave him a penny whistle and told him to just like do it 1950s style. It, it's unbelievably good. I really like the high register that it's sung in. I, to me, it would be the most beautiful album closer that it could possibly have. I think it just wraps everything up so well. Why isn't it? Why isn't it the album closer? Oh no! Let's talk about the next song in a moment. I don't want to. It's, it's, it's unfortunate because it's so good. It would be ending on such a high note, and every time I listen to this album, I think this is the last track, and it's not. <laughs> but 
yeah, I have not one bad thing to say about this song. It's sound- when I first heard it, I thought it was a cover of a Buddy Holly song just because of mm. the way it sounds. So I was very pleasantly astounded and surprised to find out that no, Denny Lane wrote this one too, and it's great. We hear the circus. On the last track, I kind of imply that Denny has a limited range, but with, if, with this song, it's 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 you know the proof is in the pudding. He actually has a much broader scope that than I certainly gave him credit for. And I think he has a very strong high register. He just doesn't use it very much. Yeah, he can still hit the high note and say you don't mind. He definitely has that register. In terms of just genre as well, this is totally outside of his stereotypical set. And because it's, I guess, so rare, it kind of makes it a little more special, especially during his tenure in Wings. Uh, these songs are particularly sparse. Uh, I mean, a Denny Lane track where the most fun instrumental melodic point is is a, a, a pipe wind instrument. That's that's just really fun and interesting. There's some great tinny guitar picking that's just so bouncy. I'm quite unable to resist it. There's uh, you know there's no officially uh, accredited lyrics, uh, so I do kind of struggle to hear what is really on about here, but. I know that those female backing vocals are worth <laughs> are, are worth singing at least. So whilst I don't know what exactly they're singing about, it still sounds good, whatever it is. I think all you need to know is that everybody's got something going. Oh, <laughs> yeah. is that another is that another generic rock and roll blues line that kind <laughs> of doesn't mean anything at all? Oh, Denny, you you really shocked and surprised me there, my friend. It's done well though. It's done well. This is this is Denny doing his thing. Well, you know, it's no better or no worse than a Ringo Starr album track, really. And I mean that with all the love in the world, just in the sense that it's mostly what you expect. Most, uh, It's got a fun little twist to it in the, in the production and the arrangement where you're like, oh, yeah, I can totally justify why this exists. Uh, you are correct, though. This totally should be the album closer, but it's not. Uh, it's not, I'm afraid. And we do have to move on to a track called Move Me To Another Place. All the weights, expecting treason, Charlie's without a reason. You can't expect to be treated everyone you see. I can't see what 
after a lot of Denny Love and a lot of Denny bashing, we have to end the album now. And, you know, Denny knows that you end an album with a bang. And I feel like this is certainly what he was going for. But as we saw with his closer for side one, he's not the greatest judge of what a banger is to end anything on vinyl. My opinion differing from yours, uh, with sounding, of course. Uh, I don't find this to be a banger by any uh, rating at all. Uh, while side two has been quite redemptive so far, I knew we'd had it too good for too long. And without appearing like too much of an arrogant dickhead, I was totally expecting the day to fuck it up at the last hurdle a mile off. So finally, Chloe, before we move on to a place where we don't have to talk about this album, tell me your thoughts on Move Me to Another Place. I don't think it's a bad song, but I don't think it belongs where it is whatsoever. I think the song should be moved to another place. Like maybe the beginning of the side two would be okay. Move, find a way somehow, somewhere else. It's not like it doesn't belong on the album, but I don't like it very much. I don't really like the backing vocalist on it that much. It's just, it just doesn't fit the song. It's not, again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not very good flow through the album. It's kind of, not to use too much young person lingo, but it kills my vibe, you know? Like, it it just shouldn't be where it is. It sounds like Hotel California to me. I I don't know. (laughs) And you can never leave. (laughs) To me, this is just another Elton Haven Brown kind of track. Like it's entirely without melody or riff. I know you've listened to this album, you know, half a dozen times today. I I have as well. I literally can't remember it whatsoever. Uh, can you remember how this one goes at all? Unfortunately, yeah. I, I mostly I just hear the. I, I don't know which of the girl backing vocalists it is. I'm not sure who's singing on this, to be honest. But that's really uh, all. I so it's funny you should mention this uh, on your YouTube comments section. It it says that this is an uncredited Phoebe Snow backing vocal. That's what every the, the again the problem with this is it's like putting the puzzle pieces Preach. together. I think it is Phoebe Snow, but she is credited on the album. So that was incorrect from Discogs at the time. I got to fix that. Unfortunately, that's a mess up on my part, I guess. But yeah, I, it probably is Phoebe Snow. That's what I think. I just don't want to say it 100% because I'm not positive. I don't know enough about her. Yeah, because um, She's all I remember got, from it, though. Because you've got that other uh, uh, member, I mentioned earlier, called Ph- uh, Phobia Laob or Laub. And that just that just feels like a possible pseudonym or something like that. Phobia, Phoebe. There's definitely something going on there. There has to be. It's unusual. I've scoured Discogs looking for an answer, and unfortunately, I can't find one. If it's not on Google, the answer does not exist, as we know. When I read Phoebe Snow, I was kind of expecting a little more, uh, something a little more substantial than this I guess would be the correct way to put it but from what I could hear you know the backing vocalist gave a a badass throaty powerful vocal here as to be expected but the production just gives it a a massive injustice in my opinion I mean Denny's vocal is also pretty darn good but the way they're mixed is so amateurish it's borderline affable I mean it feels like a demo or an early rough cut of a track like not fit for final purpose it's already difficult to understand the vocals on this album with one person singing, let alone two people singing on top of each other. It's pretty terrible all over. If I'm completely honest, it really didn't do anything for me at all. 
And for some reason, we have another song on this album that just doesn't know how to end, which leaves us with the poorest of poor album endings or any song ending, which is the fade out. I mean, this is a generic 12 bar blues track. So you just end it with da 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 dow. And you're pretty much good to go. And yet, for some reason, some idiot decided that it was better to have a fade out, which is a bit of a waste, in my opinion. I agree with pretty much everything you're saying on that. Um, it's just it's just not right where it is. I don't really know what's going on with it. It's too much and not in a good way. Unlike, say, on that early morn where I said it's wonderfully hectic. This is just mm-hmm. unfortunately hectic. And it's it's overkill, you know. And uh, I don't love it. Yeah, everything, everything that I, I meant positively in on the early morn, I mean negatively with this track. Uh, it's kind of unfocused and directionless. And the arrangement is rock and roller. The rhythm is 12-bar blues and the vocals are soul. And I'm, I'm left utterly confused at the end, which is a shame really because I've enjoyed this album a lot more than I ever thought I would. Because uh, folks... That was indeed the final song from our lane. We've done it. We've actually managed to get through this entire album without vomiting in our mouths whatsoever. We are we are true professionals here at Paul or Nothing. Let's just talk about this album generally. Let's let's give our general opinions on 1973 slash late 1960s uh, lane. What do you think about this album, Chloe? What do you think about this album? I mean, overall, as a whole, this is one of the best Danny Lane solo albums. We don't get this kind of production again with Danny, again, as I was saying, until 1982, and then not again until 1996. And then that's it, if we're not counting the demos for Arctic Song, and that's not really, that doesn't count. So to me, it's rare to have such a clean-cut, authentic sound with real instruments and such good rock and roll blues songwriting. I think... It encapsulates pretty much everything that Denny Lane's going for in his music. It's a very strong album. It's one I play all the time to the point where I'm going to need to get a second copy because I'm going to go right through the vinyl at this point. There's nothing really bad about it. If you want to listen to Denny Lane, this is the album to start with. I'd put this over Japanese Tears in terms of if you really want to listen to Denny Lane as a musician, if you're really curious about what this guy in Wings is all about. This is the album to listen to. It has its downfalls, but every uh, pretty much every album does. There's a few out there that are just perfect, but this album's just just an album. It's just human, you know? So I'm not going to say it's a bad album because of the weak ending. I think that is what it is, but it's to the point where I just change the order on the playlist if I listen to it on MP3. <laughs> Yes, this is definitely an album that benefits from modern playlist building where you don't necessarily have to listen to it in the way that it was originally presented to you. To me, this is an album where the core songwriting is quite strong, yet it's missing a lot of the flourishes that would uh, benefit many Wings era Danny Lane songs. Uh, just you know, having Paul to balance ideas off from production ideas, doing different stuff. Uh, it's very much hampered by its limited production value and the players on it and the instruments available to play on the tracks themselves. But 
as someone who was going into this review completely cynically and expecting to have an album that was going to completely trash from start to finish for meme value and for the lols, I was genuinely quite surprised with this album. I really found it to be a lot more fun than I'd ever give it credit for in advance. And it just proves why Denny was chosen for Wings in the end. There's a, a strength of songwriting here. Uh, it's not like he's leaning on covers or another songwriter or a ghostwriter or anything like that. It's just pure Denny Lane, long before Paul. And it, it just extols the virtues of why he was able to not only function in Wings so well, but last as long as he did. So even if you don't like all of the songs on this album, it's a it's a must-have historical piece, wouldn't you say? I would. I'd say even if you're not going to self-identify as a Denny Lane fan, but you're just a Wings fan, this it's a, it's an essential album. It belongs in your collection just for what it is. I've found that when I'm trying to make people listen to Wings or Wings-adjacent <laughs> material, you, you got to impose it on them somehow, you know? Um, but this is one that they seem to find more tolerable. I get less complaints about this album than others. So I think it's it's likable. You know, it's just fun and likable. That's the way I could put it. And that's all we could ever hope to be in this world, folks. Fun and likable. Not that we ever succeed. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this has been another episode of Paul or Nothing. We've been looking at Arlene. And my guest today has been Chloe McManus. I mean, Chloe Costello. Links for her YouTube channel will be in the description down below. But thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. This has been absolutely a one-of-a-kind conversation. I never thought I was going to be talking to anyone under the age of 93 when it came to our lane. So thank you for helping uh, validate and justify my incredibly strange habits. Thank you, Sam, for having me on. This was honestly so much fun. I feel so happy getting to talk about this. And I hope people like hearing this. It's an honor that you had me on here. So thank you. I no, appreciate um, it. Have a great time. We're definitely going to have to continue this weather. It's, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I've already had a chat about holidays, but I'll definitely do a bonus episode just for the Patreon where we can talk about holidays anytime we talk about uh japanese tears rank denny lane songs in general that would definitely be something i'd be up for uh spoiler alert children children's going on the very bottom of that list i do apologize but that's gonna be a big fight <laughs> it's not gonna be a fight more of a massacre uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right i see how it is yeah We'll definitely do this again sometime. Thank, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a really fun episode of the show. Uh, folks, thank you for listening to another episode of Poor or Nothing. We have been going through 1973 slash late 1960s, uh, an album called Our Lane, which kind of came to be cynically kind of by accident, but also kind of just because, you know, the world needed to let us know what Denny Lane was all about. And I'm glad I have a slightly more 3D picture of this man We've always been huge Denny Lane fans on the show. I'm not even saying Denny Lane apologists. And, you know, I'm glad to have someone else on who shares my biased opinion with me. It's been you know, an absolutely fantastic episode. I've had so much fun. Uh, keep listening to Paul. Keep listening to Denny Lane. Keep listening to the Beatles. Play us out again. Play no words. Let's hear it.
No, 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 no,